Amen. Morning, church. Always great to be together. Uh, Bergen kids, you guys can head uh, out to the doors, find your way. Uh, new visiting, thrilled you're here. Uh, glad you got to worship Jesus with us today uh, as we love to enjoy Jesus and all that he is. Uh, we worship Jesus in a number of ways, and I'm also being told, if you could squeeze in, please, uh, if you have space in between you, that would be very, very helpful. Um, but if you're new visiting, brought by a friend, or, uh, or just kind of curious about the things of Christianity or the scriptures, uh, we worship Jesus by uh, singing songs. So some of you guys have asked, why do we sing? Well, we sing because we love to declare the perfections of Jesus, uh, who is the Son of God, who is God in human flesh. And uh, we love to worship him by declaring and thanking him uh, through extolling him. Uh, we also worship Jesus by sitting under the scriptures. So we love to uh, hear from the word of God. That's why we love to sit under what's known as preaching so that we can learn more about who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for us in his reconciling work, uh, in his life, death, and resurrection. We also worship Jesus by being generous because God has been most generous in us and giving us himself in his son. So we give in the silver black boxes in the back. If you're a first-time guest or uh, not a regular attender, we don't need your income. We just want you to know Jesus, and he's uh, more wealthy than the stock market, and uh, you would get all that is the Father's in having Jesus. And so uh, we pray that we would be a generous people. We also worship Jesus each week by observing the Lord's Supper. That's what Jesus gave us uh, as his church to be nourished by remembering the saving benefits of what we've received in Christ. So um, that's what we do. Um, want to just say uh, two things uh, before we kind of dive into the text. One is, I know Veterans Day was yesterday, and we've got some uh, faithful uh, vets who have served uh, in this place, and we're very grateful. Um, also, just know that uh, there are over 25 million veterans that, that serve, and over 2 million are black, over 1 million are Hispanic, probably 300,000 are Asian. Uh, it crosses tribes, tongues, and nations, uh, people that give their lives and time and great risk, but we're most profoundly thankful that ultimately uh, you are giving your allegiance to God because God has put authorities in place. You're a beautiful display of Romans 13 uh, who says he's put it for stability and for the safety of people. And so thank you for loving Jesus well with your life um, as we all as good soldiers, right, of Christ Jesus uh, love to find him as our chief uh, commander. And uh, we love that. So thank you. We honor you. We're, we're grateful. Uh, we know you guys have made some hard risks uh, and experienced some things that, that others of us don't have to. Uh, the other thing I wanted to mention just before we uh, get into the text, uh, if you have your Bible, you can go to 1 Corinthians 9. That's where we're going to be. Uh, and if you don't have a Bible, I'll say you can grab a Bible in the back. Um, it's just, uh, just uh, a quick word on... Um, last Sunday, Sutherland Springs, Texas, I'm sure uh, all of you are aware of what happened. We don't need to re-walk through details. Um, uh, most of you, if you read the news or listened to reports, you know what, what occurred there. Uh, but there are two things. I was just kind of doing my own reflection this week and thinking about that. Uh, there are two things that came to mind uh, that I think are good for us. One to do corporately together right now, but the other thing just to do personally. Uh, and that's just reflect and repent. I think anytime you see anything uh, that spans any type of evil, right? The scriptures say that the days we live in are evil. Um, and so uh, we should always reflect and always repent. So reflection is more of this. Um, be careful not to move on too quickly. Um, when, when, when scenarios happen, when things hit, don't, don't let it handicap. You want our faith to overcome the fear that we feel. We want to remember who our king is and that the church was really fundamentally formed from adversity and, and, and from assault and even from murder itself. 
Um, that's how the church actually grows in strength. Uh, that's, the, that's the great irony of when people think that's the way that they could damage or demean or hinder the church. We know that death isn't the end. We know that we have a great high priest, Jesus, who even through the early centuries, uh, as these things happen, it only moved the church forward and more strong in itself. Um, but I want us to take time to reflect. I mean, it's important that you take some honest assessment of your soul. When, when, you, when you realize that uh, these types of things happen, number one is remember that, that these things happen across the globe. I mean, it might be rare in America, but um, there are people hiding out in cover uh, daily, not just on Sundays, um, who have Bibles over candlelight. I mean, it's good for us to stop and not just move on to the football games uh, on Sunday and actually think about, hey, um, take some honest stock of your life. Um, am I following Jesus? Do I know him? Do I love him? Uh, the days are evil, which also means that we reflect upon Sundays together. Um, Sundays are already of massive importance. And I don't know about you, but it may be treasure our time even more. Uh, I, I mean, I could not wait to be here uh, because these moments we have together are fundamentally because the days are evil. Like that's, that's why we're gathering. That's why we don't retreat to the hills. We're going to see, I mean, in God's perfect providence, we're on mission driven this week. I mean, uh, God doesn't pray for us in John 17 to retreat and run to the hills. He say, hey, get out there. You're sheep among wolves. Don't put your fence up. Have your driveway long and don't speak to anybody. Don't hide out for cover, but be bold. Go proclaim. Go tell that reconciliation with God can be had. Go tell people that sinners can be saved, that evil can be pushed back and will finally be pushed back in the work of Jesus Christ. So um, reflect. Reflect and let this move you towards greater appreciation for Sunday morning. Uh, that we would treasure one another as a family because literal blood-bought family was taken. Not in the life to come, but from the life here. Uh, and so we remember that deeply. Uh, mourn with those who mourn. Weep with those who weep. Think of the pastor losing his daughter who's 14. Treasure your children. Teach them the ways of Jesus. Uh, let these moments move you into places that exalt Jesus more in your life. Um, but the other side is don't just reflect, but repent. Now, this might be an interesting kind of uh, statement to think about, but uh, Jesus says very clearly in Luke 13, whether it's a natural disaster or clear evil done, the response is, hey, repent, because you could perish too. Um, take some honest assessment of where you're at with the Lord. Uh, do you know him? Do you love him? Uh, maybe there's some repentance for apathy. Uh, maybe there's some repentance for priority. Right? Maybe there's repentance for uh, ways that you do not love him and do not exalt him. Uh, maybe there's repentance of sin for the first time, where, where life you just thought was given to you, you didn't realize that God's the author of life and life can be taken at any moment. So we don't live in fear, we live in great faith, knowing we're treasured by God, loved by Jesus. We treasure our time together, we reflect deeply, we mourn with brothers and sisters who experience loss, and then we repent where we need to repent. So I want to just give a few minutes before we dive into the text to do that um, in, a, in a quiet space. I know our weeks are just chaos, right? Um, some of us even like to drown out news like that in situations like this. And listen, it's, it, just disaster, evil, we're in the days of evil. The apostles knew they were in evil times. These things are nothing new. So we need to be well aware of them but find our refuge in the right place. Uh, so would you just bow your heads with me? I want to give you a moment first just to reflect however God might lead you to that place. Maybe it means you simply taking a moment to mourn with, to lament with, to grieve with. Man, that Sutherland Springs, this is the first Sunday post that who knows what families are feeling.
that the community has experienced. Might God intervene in that place and bring comfort. Might the gospel be brighter. Might the work of Jesus be more courageous from the hearts of those saints. Would you just take a moment and reflect in your own heart, your own posture towards it? Identify with them. And then wherever repentance might need to happen in your heart. Repentance simply is a theological word for turning from sin and turning towards Jesus Christ. Or is it that you might need to turn from sin in your heart? What might God be graciously making you aware of as you see the frailty of life, as you see the days being evil? Or might there be some healthy urgency Or might there be some realignment? Father, we are so grateful that we get to have this time together. We're so grateful that we get Sunday morning. We're so grateful for privilege and luxury. God, we're grateful that we have the word of God. We're grateful that we have your very son and his very spirit indwelling us. God, we're grateful, Father, that we get to be nourished by the word of God and reminded of another world with another kingdom that will be fully established, that God, evil will be one day fully pushed back. And God, that you allow us now to be ambassadors of reconciliation, to be citizens that live as a people of another kingdom. God, would you help us as a people to be driven by the urgency that people are perishing, that people need and can have the message of hope in Jesus Christ. And praise God that we have that for the world and for our communities and for our workplaces and for our spheres of influence. So would you move us toward a place of movement and maturity in us making disciples. God, help us as a people. Speak to us now as you teach us through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians 9. If you have a Bible, go to 1 Corinthians 9. Uh, This week is mission-driven. So if you're wondering, what do we do as a church? We normally uh, teach through books of the Bible and kind of go chapter by chapter, verse by verse, line by line to get the whole counsel of God as to what he might want to say to us. So I just want you to know that is uh, first and fundamentally what we like to do is our primary diet of teaching, but uh, periodically we will take uh, breaks and we'll take time. We'll teach through subjects uh, or topical studies that we believe are helpful for us. So we're taking... Uh, We've taken eight weeks to walk through the identities of who we are as a people, as God is forming us and growing us and maturing us. And we looked at uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the one thing that remakes and and, and uh, re-kind of establishes us as sinners and to be declared righteous before God. We looked at um, the word which drives us and informs us in our life together. We looked at discipleship last week, which is the edict Jesus gave for us to go and make learners of all that we've been saved from and this word that informs us and all that we live to. Uh, And this last two 
two weeks, we're going to do Mission Driven. Um, and just to give you a heads up, some of you guys are wondering what's next. Um, we're actually going to do five weeks on Advent, um, ending this series in two weeks as we approach Christmas Eve, which is on a Sunday. Praise God, it's on a Sunday. That's, that's great news for me. I know you guys don't care, but uh, that is that seven years, so i got to wait seven years for it to happen again. But um, we're going to actually do this for five weeks. We're going to look at all promises made, promises kept in Jesus Christ. Um, the reason this is so great is if you want to understand your Bible and it's so fundamental form. Old Testament is all the promises made. New Testament is all the promises kept in Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 1.20 will show you that every promise made is yes and amen in the Son, Jesus Christ. We want to look at what are some of these promises God made and why is the birth of Christ sweet to us in him fulfilling those promises. Then we're going to start the book of James uh, in the beginning of January. Buckle your seatbelt and that'll take us uh, three months all the way to Easter, okay? Now you got it. All you OCD type A people, write it down. Don't need to email me now again for the fifth time. Okay, you've got it, right? Put it in your planner, put it in your iPhone. Okay, here we go. First Corinthians 9. Uh, here is what we're going to see, mission-driven. Okay, we've learned all this, right? The gospel redeems us, transforms us, the word informs us, but now we talked last week about we want to be disciple-makers, this edict from Jesus, but we talked about the internal component last week, right? Among the people of faith. I want to now talk about the external component of making disciples thoughtfully engaging the life and mind of people around us. Now, if you read on our distinctives under uh, identity and mission, we say thoughtfully. Now, that word is important. Uh, we want to thoughtfully engage life and culture around us, right? We, wanna, we don't want to hunker down and just be our holy huddle in here. We want to get out into everywhere God has sovereignly ordained us to be, to open our mouths and articulate and live the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? We should live lives that demand an explanation, okay? If no one around you needs to demand an explanation from you, there's something wrong, Okay, I'm not trying to be hurtful or, or, or offensive, but that's just, that shouldn't be for the Christian. They should be around you. There should be reason to, not just because you don't drink a beer, not just because you don't cuss, but there's something exuding from you. There's a aroma about you that is Christ, Paul says. Uh, so that's the type of people we want to be. And so um, Paul does a great job in 1 Corinthians. Paul does a great job everywhere. But um, he does a great job in 1 Corinthians 9 of threading the needle between how we live wisely, not being syncretists and not being sectarians. Now, um, here's just what that means. He, he often in his letters kind of threads this needle of, of living wise among non-Christians, those outside the kingdom of God. Um, it's the assumption of the Bible, the assumption of Paul, the assumption of Jesus that you and I will rub shoulders daily with people who do not love the God that we love, do not serve the God that we serve. Is that Monday for anybody, right? Work, uh, maybe it's family, maybe it's uh, wherever you live, maybe it's your neighbor, maybe it's who knows what it is, but we will do that. So the assumption is how do we thoughtfully engage the life and mind around us? As good citizens, seeing that Jesus himself sought to seek and save that which is lost. Uh, so we want to emulate him in that way. And so he's threading the needle between syncretism and sectarianism. Right? We don't want to be syncretists. We don't want to look just like the world. We don't want to be in sync with everything that they do. Yet, Paul will say as you pursue holiness, as you pursue godliness, don't become sectarian. Right? Don't become a monk. Don't run for the hills. Don't hide out. This is that notion that, that's common in some deeply conservative areas where we don't want to get around sinners. It might get on us and all of our kids will start doing meth and eat animals. I mean, it, all of a sudden it just rolls out to these inexplainable places. No, we want to be around sinners, right? As a Christian, yes, we talked last week, you need the family of God to grow in grace, but we also are commanded by God to get involved appropriately and wisely within scriptural limitations with the life and mind around us. Otherwise, what are we doing? 
right? I mean, that God is letting us play a role in his story of redemption, that we get to be used by a sovereign God who declares and opens hearts and draws men and women to himself, that he lets us participate in this? Insane. So here, Paul is going to help us in 1 Corinthians 9, 1 9 to show us some, some insight into this. And then I'm going to end with just uh, four things practically. So um, understand, right before this, Paul's been talking about Christian freedom. Uh, the Corinthian church basically was saying, hey, I got rights. I'm saved. I don't have to do this. Don't follow this ritual. I don't have to follow this custom anymore. I can eat whatever I want. And he's saying, yeah, but it's hindering your evangelism. Uh, so you need to be a little winsome in how you actually live. Okay, don't be a moron. Don't be a jerk. Right? Start identifying with people. Here's what he says 1 Corinthians 9, verse 19. For though I am free, this is Paul talking about himself, right? An apostle, somebody who experienced the resurrection of Jesus. We've talked about that on the road to Damascus. He says, though I am free from all, I've made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. So, so Paul's just saying, I have freedoms, right? I'm free from sin. I'm free from, you know, legalistic customs and rituals. I was brought out of Judaism. I don't have to participate in all those things anymore. It's Christ alone and faith alone, right? He has this free gift of grace by Jesus Christ. No more works, merits, anything. He's free to take material support. He's free to eat meals offered to idols. He says, I'll gladly limit my freedoms, though, if it means possibly bringing someone else into the fold of God. Right, so he, he lays his, it's amazing, it's almost this paradox, I'm the most free man that exists, yet I'll choose to be a servant. Even though I'm free, I'll be a servant, I'll be a slave is the word. If it might mean winning someone else to the gospel of Jesus Christ. I love it, Paul seems to teach this a lot. He'll tell Timothy he endures everything he goes through for the sake of those who will be saved. He goes, man, I'll go to prison, <laughs> I'll endure hardship. Man, if, if just some people could experience the blessings that I have in Christ, if they, they would just know this, this God that saves me from wrath and puts me as his own son in the adopted family of God who offers forgiveness and propitiation and imputed righteousness, and uh, we walked through all those things in the great work of justification a couple weeks ago. He goes, man, if people would just know this, know what it means to be saved, I gladly endure all that I endure. Paul provides illustration from his own life here, verse 20. He'll say, let me just give you examples. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not myself being under the law, that I might win those under the law. So he just talks about how he operated, how he functioned when he was with the Jews. Now, Paul was Jewish, so he came out of this, or Paul was in, the, in this uh, system of Judaism, right? And so here's what Paul's doing. He's not talking about Jews racially, He's talking about ceremonial customs. He's talking about ceremonial laws here. He's saying, I adapted to those things. Paul would be as Jewish as necessary when working with the Jews within scriptural limitation because he so wanted them to know Jesus. He so wanted them to be saved. He's saying, in Christ, I'm no longer bound to ceremonies, rituals, traditions of Judaism, but when I'm with them, if it's important they have a meal a certain way, I'll eat it. If it's important to them that they, you know, celebrate a certain day a certain way, I'll do that. Why? Because what once had been legal restraints for Paul are now love restraints. Right? I mean, what, was, what once used to bind him in ritual and obligations, now just bursting forth out of love for them, not because he has to do it, it's not legalistic in nature, it is strictly because he has great love. 
Beautiful to see this from Paul. Why? So they might know Jesus. Now, some of you might be wondering, um, are you saying that you win people to Jesus by just kind of trying to, like, accommodate? No. He's saying you, you earn the right to speak the truth by accommodating yourself. Um, and there's lots of examples. You can go to Acts 21 where you have uh, Paul. He's with the church council. He's getting ready to go out to, to be with Jews and, and share with them the true gospel, what the gospel of grace has really done. And the church council gets together and says, hey, you know what? Um, why don't you go participate in their purification ceremony because that will give you a great in with the Jews as you go and meet with them. Then you'll be a good missionary. You'll see in Acts 16, look at this one, I love this one. Uh, look at what Acts 16 says. Paul also came to Derby and Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was Greek. He was well spoken of by his brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places. For they all knew his father was a Greek. Uh, this is just thoughtfully engaged in the life and mind around you. You see it right here in Acts 16. You have Paul. He says, I see this guy, Timothy. Uh, I kind of want him in my ministry. There's a problem. Timothy has a dad who's a Gentile and a mom who's a Jew. Now, the reason that's bad is people would say he is an uncircumcised Jew of a Gentile father, right? So this is traitorous. This is offensive. So he goes, hey, uh, Timothy, before you go in and speak with them, can I circumcise you real quick? <laughs> can you imagine that? I mean... Timothy's going, uh, Paul, that's, that's, isn't that a little like, big of a deal? That, that, that's kind of painful, bro. I mean, why, why are we doing this now? He's going, hey, because I so care about us making a pathway to them, hearing and understanding the true gospel of Jesus Christ, that he was the Messiah, that he does reign and rule, that he does forgive sin, and so they find ways to accommodate themselves in a way that speaks the truth within scriptural limitations. You'll see this uh, throughout the scriptures now he moves on from Jews to Gentiles, how he functioned with Gentiles. Verse 21, to those outside the law became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. Now listen, I, I, <laughs> I read this text. Uh, so many people misinterpret and abuse this one. They think this is their missionary style of choice. Right? Oh, I have to be under the law. Right? So right, drink, be merry, man, just smoke it up, like let's take them all to strip clubs, let's do all that because I can just do whatever I want. I'll go be with them wherever they are. That's not what he's talking about. He says clearly here, not being outside the law of God, just in case you misunderstand. He's not talking about engaging in sin to win people to Jesus. He's talking about accompanying them. He's talking about limiting his freedoms. He's talking about using his liberties for the sake of love, not selfish gain. Say, yeah, I, I'm free to do a lot of things, but when I'm around the Gentiles, this is how I act. You can see this in Galatians 2. When he goes to Antioch, he's around the Gentile believers there. Um, they were famous for coming out of massive idolatry, right? And they would eat meat, right, from those idols, and he thought he couldn't, but when he went, he's like, okay, I'll eat the meat with you. It's God's gift. Food is from God. There are many times that Paul would do this. Romans 14, you'll see he didn't drink certain things that would offend them. So in other moral matters, he identified as closely as he could with Gentile customs. Um, I remember when we first moved here, and when you, when you, just so you know, when you're planning a church, the, 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 the great thing is you're, you're so well aware of, of just evangelism. 
right? I mean, I mean, nobody, I don't think, plants a church going, I'm just going to go so I can just meet other Christians, right? You plant a church because you want to see the gospel make a people new and grow in places where there's a lot of need. And so we saw that up in this area for vibrant gospel ministry, for people to know the saving work of Jesus Christ. So we move our family from uh, outside Washington, D.C. and Virginia. And I remember when we got here, we lived in North Halden with my in-laws, and they had a neighbor, Chris and Kristen. I remember we constantly were trying to find even playing fields to engage with them so we could find ways to advance the gospel in their life. And we finally found awesome. We both love pizza. Praise God. Let's go get fat and share Jesus. That, that is the most beautiful act of evangelism. So we would take them out, find their favorite spot, and just started with pizza. And that just grew into the most profound, beautiful, helpful conversations about Jesus. Now, it's intentional, right? It's not just we're going out to get pizza because we like that together. It's, you see that as a pathway, not to bait and switch, but just talk about it last week like normal, right? Normal activity. So as you're talking among them, they ask who you are, what you do, what shapes you. You don't have to freak out. You just talk about the way Christ is active in your life, like you would talk about anything else. And we started having profound conversations and still have profound conversations about what Christ has done and what he can do for them. Um, what are ways where we can do this? That's just Bergen County language, right? Look what he says in verse 22. He talks about the weak. There are all types of people, right? As we thoughtfully engage the life and mind around us. He says, to the weak, I became weak that I might win the weak. There were so many new Christians emerging out of Judaism that, that, listen, if you know your Pauline theology, while a weak brother or sister was someone who became a Christian, they don't yet really understand how to use their liberties or even what their liberties are. So the problem is, he's going, some people are going in and they're using their liberties in a detrimental way. So these weak brothers and sisters go, oh, cool, it's, it's, it's cool to do that. Well, I'm really weak in that area. That's a sin that used to enslave me. And instead, they're going and doing this in a way that's unhelpful for the weak brother or sister and not helpful. If you read Romans, it says that all things are permissible, but not all things are beneficial. Right, we have an obligation to help the weak. Those who are strong and mature in their faith have an obligation to lay down their liberties and rights out of love, to win as many as possible to the kingdom of God. And so Paul understood this. He knew that there were new Christians out of Judaism who wanted to still keep Sabbath laws, go to the temple, maintain customs in the home. Okay, we'll get there. When he worked with Jews, he realized there were, there were Jews who didn't really understand the eating meat sacrificed to idols. So he said, okay, we'll get there. We'll eat this. To the weak, he became the weak. If they had hang-ups, okay. He didn't beat them up. He didn't tell them, you're free, man. Don't judge me. He said, okay. You have that hang-up, I'll adapt. He didn't have to, but he chose to. You know, this is important for us, and I've said this a lot in us as a people, right? Um, if you're able to sit down and enjoy certain Christian freedoms, you can do that. If you want to drink your beer, do that. That's a freedom for you. Enjoy your good wine. But listen, the problem is you've got to be aware of who you're with. You got to be aware of who you're evangelizing to. What are the brothers and sisters in the church you're with? Because what I've seen most of the time is the mature in their faith, not wisely using their freedom. So all the immature use your maturity in the faith as a trump card to just keep sinning. Right? So, oh, well, I saw him do it. I saw him do it. So, I mean, that must be fine. With no clarification, no honesty, no. 
A lot of times it's more selfishly motivated than cross-motivated. So you got to be really careful, really careful how you use your freedoms and liberties as a Christian. This is what Paul did. Now, the big question is, why? I mean, why? Because here, as we're seeing, true Christian maturity is laying down your freedoms for the good of others. So, um, why would Paul do this? Just follow his train of thought. So that some might be saved. He was so mission-driven. Why do you adapt from a Jew to a Jew, Gentile to Gentile, week to a week? He says this in verse 22b, I become all things to all people so that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I might share with them in its blessings. He goes, I forsake friendships, I forsake all these hardships, I forsake and endure everything because I just know that some might get to experience the blessings, the treasure that I have in Jesus Christ. I mean, he just so wanted people to know that. And why? I love it. He says, some. Isn't that good news for you? Not everybody's going to say yes. Not everybody's going to say, oh, I want that. But he knows some might. Just him knowing that some might gave him all that he needed to share, go, tell, proclaim to everyone that he was with. It was not that all would. It's that when somebody denied that or somebody excused that or persecuted him for that, he's going, okay, yeah, I know that's coming, but some might. That's profound for us. Not everyone will want to follow Jesus, Christian, and that's, that's encouragement. But some might. Um, I remember meeting with one of our college students before I, right before we moved here, David, and man, we started meeting at Starbucks, and this guy was cold as a rock, hard. <laughs> and he just didn't want anything to do with me, the church. We met a couple times, nothing, just sat there slouch, staring at me. And I'm like, uh, what'd you have for breakfast, bro? I don't I don't know, like, I mean, what'd you read lately? Like, not the Bible, but what'd you read? Like, what are you enjoying? What are you, and I remember 1 Corinthians 9 just being in the backdrop of, I felt like giving up. And there's, there's times where, man, you find the low-hanging fruit, people of peace. You don't exhaust your time. But I just knew the Holy Spirit was saying, hey, continue to work, continue to meet, continue to talk. So we continue to have Starbucks dates. He kept coming, which was so odd. Like, I mean, we would just come, and I'd try to talk to the Bible, and he would just frown. Then we'd talk about something he liked. He'd be happy and talk. So I realized it was on his agenda. So I said, look, man, I, we can't go any, any, any further until, can we at least set a pathway? Can we just maybe, let's take the book of Ephesians. I know here's a Bible. I bought him a Bible, gave it to him. I said, hey, can we just start meeting, just, just chatting about it? Showed up for three more weeks. Nothing. And wouldn't even bring his Bible. I'm going, this is a waste. Fourth week, don't know what, well, I know what happened, right? The, the illuminating work of the Holy Spirit, for whatever reason, triggered in his heart. He comes, and I mean, all of Ephesians 1 is underlined. And I'm going, what happened to you this week, man? Like, did you get a new family? Did you, and he goes, no, I don't know, man. I woke up one night. I was just like, maybe I should read the Bible that Pastor Mike gave me. So I just started looking at Ephesians 1. And, man, why continue to meet? Why continue to talk? Why continue to plod and plead and beg? Why? Because some might. 
right? He might. David Cole might. And he became a Christian, loves a godly woman, serving in the army, in the Air Force, and he is loving Jesus. Went to Alabama, did crusades on the weekends, did evangelism on the weekends. He is loving the Lord, raising a generation, has a new daughter, and constantly we get back to, we met at Starbucks, and we had conversations, and he's like, why did you continue to pursue me? Because you might. Because you might. And it's up to the Holy Spirit to draw. It's just my job to lay down the seed. You don't control people's hearts. You're just faithful with what you're given. And just so we understand, as we're mission-driven, we're not talking about compromising truth. I mean, Paul makes this really clear. It's not to set aside a truth we have no business setting aside. Look at 2 Corinthians 2. He says, for we are not like so many peddlers of God's word, but men of sincerity. As commissioned by God, in sight of God, we speak in Christ. Paul says, now there are missionaries out there. There are pastors out there. There are peddlers, right? They're selling a cheap gospel, making it really palatable for everybody. So they buy cheap merchandise. It's not a full gospel. So they don't come to a full saving understanding. They get partway with things that they like. They take out the things they might not like, right? And he goes, that's not true. That's not what we do. We're not peddlers. We speak the truth of God in Christ, right? He says, peddlers are those who don't talk about hell, don't talk about sin, don't talk about the cross, don't talk about blood, don't talk about atonement, don't talk about the riches of Jesus. Christ and he demands your life right as a Christian they don't talk about the things but he goes us we speak the truth so here's what he's getting at if someone's offended by the cross of Jesus Christ that's their issue if someone's offended by you that's your issue like I've had people I told you talk to me I don't understand why no one wants to talk to me I mean I well how did you do it flamethrower well that's probably not wise I mean I was yelling and screaming well that's probably not helpful I mean, maybe you need to engage in a way that's actually shows some sincerity, shows some care and some love and some compassion. Maybe you need to consider how you might limit your freedoms and modify your behavior as you engage with them. Maybe that would be helpful. Not always, but maybe. But it's not that we take out the truth of what we say and articulate. But it's we are humble enough to say, is there any unnecessary behavior in me? And if that's creating a stumbling block, then I'll remove that. I want to give us two things to remember and two things to request as we think about being a mission-driven people. Uh, this is how we'll, we'll close together. Um, two things to remember, two things to request. Number one. Uh, as we desire to be a people that, that engage the life and mind of people around us, remember you have the authority of Jesus. Uh, we read this last week, this great edict from Jesus Christ before his ascension, when he talks about all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all I've commanded you. And what is the thing that upholds this great promise, right? Because he says, all authority on heaven and earth is given to me. We told you it's happening. Nothing's going to stop it. Nothing's going to keep it from advancing. Disciples are going to be made. People are going to go. People are going to tell, right? What keeps this promise going is that I will be with you always. My authority that I just declared is with you as you go and do all of this. 
That's profound. It's not just when you go to a small group or, hey, I'm with you always when you're huddled in your couch watching a flick. No, it's I'm with you always as you go, as you experience moments where you feel like chickening out, where you know you need to be courageous, where you know you need to open your mouth in a winsome way, where you're trying to thoughtfully engage life and mind around you. My sovereign authority is right there with you. That's what's upholding this promise for you. I mean, imagine next time you're in that situation that feels awkward, you remembered you have the authority of Jesus. He declared that years later, thousands of years later, we would be here in Paramus, New Jersey, fulfilling this edict, going and telling and proclaiming to the exact places we work, the places that we live, the people that surround us, based upon his authority that he's given us. I mean, how would that change your mentality? You remember that Jesus' authority is what you have. It's what undergirds this entire promise. So do you remember that? As we desire to be a mission-driven people, that you have the authority of Jesus. Number two, remember you have his Holy Spirit. Look at what Paul tells Timothy after he circumcised him and forced him into ministry. He's encouraging him as he's pastoring in Ephesus. And he says this. He goes, hey, uh, clearly he needed to remember this. Clearly he was lacking courage or being a little bit timid. He says, hey, God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. So, so Christian, if you're in this room, you're with me, you're a blood-bought citizen of the kingdom, you've gladly thrown your allegiance on the lap of Jesus Christ, you've been welcomed in the family of God solely by the purchasing work of Jesus, by trusting in his work alone for forgiveness of sin and getting his righteousness, right? If that's you, you were then, according to the scriptures, indwelt by God himself, the Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit has power, it has authority, it helps us, and the scriptures will teach, that spirit, when it comes inside of you, actually is treated like a master. It corrects you. So when you get into situations, and you're like, oh, I don't know if I should do this, you feel like chickening out, and that bugs you, that's because that's the spirit inside of you prodding you to do what God wants you to do. I mean, that's why it bothers you, because, listen, I know if you're a Christian, this is something that you want. I know this is not somebody going, man, I, I don't want any of this. I don't, I don't want to be bold. I don't want to be courageous. I don't want to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. I don't want to be a light to my neighbors or my coworkers. You're not thinking that. You're going, no, I want this. That's a spirit inside of you. It's welling up. It's teaching you and guiding you and instructing you how it should. And you have this Holy Spirit, the Bible says, that is one of power. You need power outside yourself. You were not designed to operate outside the Holy Spirit's power and authority. And so we try to. I don't know, I'll come up with creative phrases and I'll just, I don't know, think about how I could be cooler and wear this or wear that. He's going, uh, no, just realize that the Holy Spirit of God is in you and it's powerful enough. And it's what draws men and women to God the Father through the work of the Son. Do you, did you know that you have the Holy Spirit? I don't mean that sarcastically at all. I mean that honestly, genuinely. Do you know, Christian, that you're indwelt by God himself? That he is what empowers you and fuels you and guides you and instructs you? Are you aware of this? Because let me say something really, really important. Maybe you're hearing all this and you're going, I'm just terrified that as soon as I begin to engage with the life of mine around me, life of mine around me, I, I won't know the answers 
I don't know where Noah's Ark is. Right? I, mean, I think History Channel said somewhere up in Israel. Or I don't know, Iraq. I don't know, Australia. It's not. But I mean, you know what I mean? Like, so, so maybe that's you. Or, or I don't know enough about carbon dating. I was cornered in my office. I was attacking with carbon dating. I, can, can I encourage you with something? Um, can you totally lose confidence in you and gain all your confidence in him? Can you, can you, because you know what Paul says to the Corinthians? I came not with persuasive speech, but a demonstration of the Spirit's power. I didn't come knowing everything. Even Paul himself did not come knowing every bit of theology he needed to know. You do not open your mouth when you think you know everything. Like, like you, just, you just move and watch the Spirit work. I mean, it's the Holy Spirit's job to draw men and women, man. You just speak. You just ask God for courage. You, you walk in those spaces, pleading with the Holy Spirit to help you. And you know what, you know what a great thing to say is when you have no idea about a question? I don't know. That's a great thing to say. I mean, can I at least give you the green light? I mean, I, I feel like Christians feel like, I don't know, as soon as I get in a conversation, I can't say I don't know, because then that undermines my whole testimony. No, you're killing your testimony by giving them a wrong answer. Okay, so what you want to do is say, uh, I didn't even know that was an issue until you brought it to mind. Man, let's go seek that out. And then go find answers to your questions. Show some humility. Show some teachability. You have to fear truth. The Holy Spirit of God. You don't, you don't have to worry. I have to talk to you about this, man. History continues to prove and give evidence. Archaeology, the more it's dug up, continues to help the scriptures. There's much more on the critic than the Christian when it comes to the things of spiritual truth. And listen, you will grow yourself intellectually in your faith as you open your mouth about your faith. Like, I can't tell you how many things that I, I didn't know or didn't understand. It's because I opened my mouth. The more I was engaged by non-Christians, I'm like, wow, I didn't know that. Wow, that's a really great question. So then I had to go firm up what I thought about that. And what does God say about that? What do the scriptures say about that? I mean, how will you even know these things if you don't engage with non-Christians in that way? So remember you have his Holy Spirit. Number three, and this is something that you have to request because I don't just want to say these next two as something you feel like you have to create in you. It's something that has to be there. First is ask God to love God. Love God. This is what Jesus says sums up everything. Life. People are going, hey Jesus, can you, can you help us understand, just sum up everything you've said? And he says this sums up everything. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So remember you have the authority of Jesus. Remember you've been given his Holy Spirit. And then, man, ask God that he would help you, give you a desire to continue loving God. Now, now here is why. Jesus is saying that loving God with every part of you leads to loving people rightly. You can't love your neighbor. You can't truly love your neighbor if you don't truly love God. You can't truly love your neighbor rightly if you don't truly love God rightly. Because here's the reality. Is it not true, because this, this is for me, the times you are most bold, most ready, most in tune, is when you're closest to God? I mean, I mean, 
leaving off a Sunday, right? I mean, we all leave these rooms, right, like shots out of a cannon, right? I'm going to do this, do this, do this, and it gets to like 2 o'clock. You're like, towels in, right? You're just, you're done, right? It's smoked. So we need something to continue to sustain this, right? You might meet at your growth group. You might meet with someone for discipleship. You leave that meeting a coffee. You're thinking right. You're on target. I love it when that happens. I engage with people that, that I meet with and we leave and we're texting throughout that day. And you're like, man, my mind is so steadfast. It's on target. I'm thinking clearly. I'm organizing myself right. I'm, I'm seeing more of the glory of God. I'm understanding how his gospel lays weight on me today, right? Okay, so this is the idea that, man, those moments are naturally going to make you most courageous and bold. See, it's not you somehow leaving here, because when I used to hear sermons on evangelism, I leave and just try harder. Oh, I'll try to get more courageous. I'll just try to tell people about Jesus. Well, then you just do stuff. Who wants to just do evangelism or do community? Like, like you know, you don't just do community. You're in community because you love the people of God. You do evangelism because you love God and you love people and you can't stand that they might be cast out of his presence. And so it's not you mustering up this internal courage, it's this intimacy with God that creates the courage. Right, I mean, that's what fuels you. You're not trying to modify you, you're trying to grow in knowing God more and as you grow to know God more and are in the word and in discipleship and at your growth group and coming here on Sundays to sit under the preached word of God, that is creating in you a, it is, it is feeding the Holy Spirit in you to go, declare, tell, proclaim. Now listen, this is why if you've been missing, if you don't show up for church, who cares? It's not about you coming to church, it's, there's a reason you feel apathy in you. There's a reason you feel an, uh, kind of a, a laziness when you retreat, when you become isolated. People sit down with me all the time going, I don't know if, well, tell me about your life. Why you, why you feel lazy, apathetic, isolated. Well, okay. You're not feeding your soul with anything. You're not kindling, adding fire to the kindling and gasoline. So we need to ask God to help us to love him. It all starts with loving God. I love this. You see in Acts 7, Stephen, as he's preaching, this has been one of the strangest texts that I've read in Acts. I mean, there's a lot of weird texts, but, but I mean, Acts 7 is a weird one. He's preaching. People hate his message. Church is exploding, and look at what happens. I mean, think about what he does in this moment. Now, when they, these are the people who are enraged, the Hellenists, I believe, by the message of the gospel, when they heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. Listen, you know that people don't like you when they're grinding their teeth, okay? It's bad enough if they stare at you bad at work, but when they start grinding their teeth, it means they're very angry. But he, I love it, full of the Holy Spirit. So, so Luke reminds you, hold on, remember who's in Stephen? Remember who Stephen has with him? Gazed into heaven, saw the glory of God. And Jesus standing at the right hand of God, and he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened, and the Son of Man, that's Jesus, standing at the right hand of God. But they, these Hellenists, cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, don't hold this against him. I love imitating Christ as he's becoming the first martyr of the Christian faith. Lord, don't hold this against them. Some believe that prayer is what God used to save Saul, who was participating and watching the stoning of Stephen, likely. And he said this, he fell asleep. Incredible, the people are angry. 
They're chasing him down, ready to stone him. And what does Stephen do? He looks to Jesus, the one who has full authority on the throne of heaven. He is full of the Holy Spirit. He has the power of the Holy Spirit in him. And in this moment of, listen, all of us would run with our tail between our legs. Stephen gets up, looks to Jesus, beholds his glory. It's this, I have a relationship with the King of kings, Lord of lords, sits on a throne, is the creator and sustainer of everything. I have nothing to be afraid of. Hey, pelt me with rocks. Go ahead and stone me, right? I mean, to even where his posture was cultivated to a place where he could say, Lord, forgive them. Man, don't hold the sin against them. I mean, do you see all this coming together here with Stephen as he's in this moment, man? He remembers, no, I just see Jesus. He's at the throne of heaven. He's the one who has me. I have his authority. It's this intimacy with God that made him courageous. It's not just Stephen feeling courageous. It's not him just trying to leave a sermon he heard from, you know, one of the early, you know, pastors, Peter, and say, yeah, yeah, can you help cultivate that in me? No, it was his growing love for beholding the glory that was his. That a God that dwells in infinite perfections owned him as his kid. And that was all he needed. It's powerful. It's powerful. Go back and read that today. That's your homework. Verse Number four, uh, love people. We've got to ask God to help us to love people. No one in here is intrinsically loving. And it all starts with loving God rightly, understanding what he did in the demonstration of him saving us and adopting us as his kids. Now we love people. Jesus says, love, notice what he says first, love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Then second, Love your neighbor as yourself. Don't get those reversed because most people, they hear someone on evangelism, I'm just going to try to love people. No, love God. <laughs> love God. Chase him. Chase him through help, with community, through sermons, through preaching, through the text, through brothers and sisters. Chase God. Learn more about who he is. Be nourished by that so that now you can go love your neighbor as yourself. The idea here is treating people like people, not projects. Right? I know you probably heard that said. Um, but the idea here is this sincerity in your heart, this genuineness, where you genuinely love people. I think, I think in our moments with those outside the faith, one of our biggest hindrances is a lack of sincerity. We've been so trained to memorize spiritual laws. And listen, apologetics have their place. Praise the Lord. You should learn how to defend your faith. 1 Peter 3.15, give an answer for the hope that you have. Yes and amen. But you can become so programmed in these answers that when people walk up to you, treat them like a robot and you just text blast them. That's not helpful. They're a person. I mean, they have a soul. Like they're, they're actually headed to eternal torment in hell without Jesus Christ. Well, I don't know if I believe that Jesus is God. John 1. I, 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 what's John? I mean, I, well, I don't, I don't know that I'm a sinner. Romans 3. Well, oh, I mean, who's, they're Romans? I mean, can you take some time and, and have intelligent conversation and listen? And, and just love them? And think about who you're speaking to. 
like a real person who has baggage and background and thoughts and experiences? And you think by just a text blast, you're going to somehow, now God is mercy could illuminate their heart, not because of you, but because of his grace. But how do we care for people? It's this idea that you're not doing this out of a sense of duty. It's you really look people in the eye and they realize you're genuine. I mean, it's, 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 it hurts you in the core of your being that they would be lost. Because you love God so much, you're going, man, I don't even have a speech plan. It's just, it's just coming, I'm just, I'm just sharing with you, God is so good, and this is how he saved me, this is how he's forgiven me, and this is the relationship I have with Jesus Christ. I mean, this is how he is my worth and my identity. I used to chase everything else. I don't care how you do it or, or shape it or phrase it, but you don't need to have a speech plan. You, you just go out with the Holy Spirit of God, loving God, being equipped as you go, and your mouth just begins to open. That's why I love new Christians, man. New Christians, been around them, like they're a Christian for a day. Like, I just got to talk to people, right? They know nothing. They're dangerous and they're awesome, right? They, they just, stuff starts coming out. Hey, Brad, that, that's not true, though. Okay, we don't want to say that. But love your heart, love your zeal. Let's temper your zeal, right? That, that's how we go. That's how we persuade. That's how we move. This is why it's directly connected. Because, guys, if we loved God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, you'd never, ever have to hear a single message on evangelism. Because you'd love your neighbor as yourself. You'd see your neighbor and go, man, if I love them as myself, and I was my neighbor, and I knew that I have what I have in Christ, how unloving do I have to be not to open my mouth? I mean, I would want to be loved as I would want myself to be loved, and I would want them to tell me something doesn't mean they'll receive it. They may reject it. But listen, one final thing and we're done. To love means to listen. As we desire to be a mission-driven people, as we engage culture, as we engage those who would come against us, we still have a posture of listening. Because Paul will say in Colossians 4, when you get around outsiders, those outside the faith, hey, um, let your speech be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you know how to answer. Here's the thing. Everyone you meet, guys, their grid's different. Okay? So ask some good questions and listen to who they are and listen to what shapes them. Maybe it's the atheist. Well, listen. Um, most people aren't born that way. Man, kids are born in awe of the, the world and wonder and want something bigger than themselves. It's definitely not intellectual study. Hey, prove me that God doesn't exist. You prove me that, or prove that God exists. You prove me that he doesn't exist. I mean, uh, science. Well, science only helps show us how God designed the universe to work. Science isn't the enemy. I mean, usually what I tend to find is they have a hard issue with the way God governs or the way God operates, or there's something that has particularly happened in their life that has shaped the character of God. Maybe ask them questions about that, then you know how you can engage with them. Maybe it's the agnostic person, that I'm really super spiritual but not religious, right? We all have that, they're, they're everywhere. Maybe it's you in here, that's great. I mean, but, but I believe in something, just not quite sure what. Well, maybe find out what they embrace. I mean, do you, do you love meaning? Do you, do you believe in life after death or just nothing and evaporation and annihilationism? You can start taking Buddhism off the table. Do you believe in, like, reincarnation? Uh, does that happen? I mean, if you, if you kill it, 
You come back as a panther. If you're terrible, come back as like a cockroach. I don't know. Like how do you, how do you engage? Okay, Hinduism has gone. You can begin to share with them Jesus Christ is the answer. God made this world perfect, beautiful, and the whole Bible speaks to that sin fractured humanity. But someone's coming to restore it all and reconcile it all back to God. Maybe it's just the good guy, right? The good neighbor, the guy that you pass, he's the only one who waves at you when you pull in your driveway, right? Doesn't cheat on his taxes, loves his wife. Maybe you're so focused on trying to find something wrong in him that you haven't looked in your own self, I find what's really helpful is just to talk about your own sin. Because they already, if they know you go to church, they already think you're perfect. <laughs> Let me talk about why Jesus is so good and why he's such a good savior. I love telling my neighbors the imperfections of me because they know I'm a pastor. It's awesome. Aren't you like a priest? No, no collar. But priesthood of believers, yes. We don't have time for that. Let's dive in, right? As we talk, right, as we begin to engage, it's awesome because they'll be like, wait, you have, honestly, Weakness, you go to church. You, you seem like, no, man, this is where I struggle. And this is why Jesus is so good and how he upholds me in my struggle. And how he keeps me, forgives me, even when I continue to wander there. Might we be good listeners? Listen, we, if you're a covenant member, we had our member meeting about a month ago. We spent time begging God to give us just one person to open our mouths with about our faith by the end of the year. Just prayed for them. Pray that God would help us to be bold and courageous and love God and love other people. So one of the things you can do, if there's somebody that God keeps bringing to mind, just start praying for them. Your neighbors, just start praying for them. Don't even open your mouth yet. I'm, I promise you, the more I pray for specific people, the more God gives me a heart and ability to open my mouth with them. It begins to change you. And can I also just say, look for low-hanging fruit. Look for those who are people of peace. We need transformation, not just information. Let's do this together. Let's bow our heads. Let's ask God for help. Let's ask the Holy Spirit of God to change us, work in us, give us strength, courage, discipline, power to what he's revealed to us today. I don't know what he's illuminating to you, what he's revealing to you, what he's encouraging you with. Listen, this is not a drive-by guilting. This is not, hey, you're not doing this, so do this. This is, man, could we see that we are all fully capable we have the authority of Jesus, the Holy Spirit of God inside us, and that it is joy for us to bend outward and thoughtfully engage. We do not want to be a church that is only consumed with Christianity in the sense of just having what we want or like. We pray that we would continue to see people who do not know Jesus Christ gather with us and become friends with us. And if we refuse to initiate in conversations with people who do not know Jesus, we are fundamentally saying we do not have time to be a Christian. Because Jesus himself fellowshiped with sinners. The gospel is coming alongside sinful men and women as a sinful man and woman and extending to them the pathway to hope and forgiveness and reconciliation with God. Father, we just want to ask you as a people to help us to be mission-driven in our love for the lost. We want to ask you right now, Holy Spirit of God, to do things in us that we cannot do and accomplish in ourselves. That, God, our neighborhoods would look different because we live in that house. 
that God, this area, that Bergen County would look different because the church is here. Would you help us understand what that looks like? Would the surrounding area begin to reverberate with the glory of God and good news of Jesus Christ? Would you help us? Would you encourage those who feel defeated? Would you help us to lose confidence in ourselves and gain great confidence in you? God, I pray if there is a a friend here this morning who is not a Christian, you're sitting here and hopefully your heart's going, man, I, yeah, this is probably what you desire out of Christians. I want you to know that we love you enough to tell you the truth. We don't feel the truth is something that has to be feared, that, that God, yes, is just and holy and perfect, that we are due destruction and condemnation and eternal torment apart from him due to our belittlement of his name that we have all participated in as humanity from birth trying to rob God of his right glory and place and be in charge of our own lives sin is fundamentally making anything else ultimate above God and if you've done that man there's good news for you that God is after your joy He's after satisfaction. He's after fulfillment. It can only be found in Jesus Christ. You can place faith and hope in that Jesus Christ this morning. You can enjoy him. You can have him. And then we can walk. God, would you lead us to a place of repentance where we need to repent? Help us to be this. In Jesus' name, amen.